and welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into this week's Torah portion. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye, and then we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. And this week's Torah portion is Naso. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Salika, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. Hey, how's it going? How was your... We're recording this right after the Victoria Day long weekend in Canada. So how was your Victoria Day long weekend, Aaron? It was quite Victorian. It feels like a funny... I don't really understand what this weekend is about, but it's great. It feels like the beginning of spring. Uh, there's lots of fireworks happening all, all weekend. Uh, and I... Got up to again some more life cycle things. Officiated another wedding. Whoa. Spent time extended time at Shiva Minions. So it just feels life is full and and beautiful. What's going on this weekend with you? Well, I guess I can't answer your question of what this weekend is all about. That it is the birthday of Queen Victoria. Um, oh. I think coincidentally, Queen Elizabeth's birthday is close to the date. Um, but what people in the Toronto area also uses this weekend, this is the marker of when you can begin planting. So, uh, and I just say that because, you know, often when we're reading the Torah, the Talmud as well, like there's a lot of ag- agricultural things. As much as we think, like, we don't have these agricultural festivals anymore. But Victoria Day, at least for people in the GTA, is kind of like the day... It's it, we call it the last frost. Frost would often kill many seeds, so there, it's unlikely there will be a frost after this weekend. So this is when people start planting things. Um, I've heard so that, but I've lived on the edge and planted things already. And so far, they're surviving. <laughs> you can plant some things. Some things like the a frost. Um, there's some things you plant in October, November, like. Um, in fact, the word for November or October in, in Lithuanian, which is language of group speaking, is uh, like seed planting month. And you think like oh. October, November, why is it called seed planting? Because I yeah. guess some plants that needed to be sown um, were done around that time. But yes, yeah. I'm doing good. I had a very nice, lovely, natural weekend. I took my husband, me and my mom took my husband canoeing for the the second time, but really feels like the oh. first time. Um, mm. Because we went for like an hour, and I taught him a lot about the paddle, how to paddle correctly, downstream, upstream. So it was uh, very productive overall. Oh, nice! How did James enjoy it? It was beautiful. Like it was just absolutely a pleasure. Besides all the mosquitoes, which uh, are wants oh, to come out of this kind of view as well. They also they wait until Victoria Day long weekend. And then they all come out. <laughs> Everything changes over. Yeah, I wonder what they're doing all year. They must be frozen too in like standing water or something. But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. mosquitoes, I, I could live without them. But speaking of mosquitoes, what is this week's Torah portion's name and etymology? Uh, so this week we have Parshat Naso, as you mentioned, uh, which means like raising up. What are we raising up? I don't even know. It's part of, we start off with, again, we're like doing a census 
as we continue this beginning of the book of Numbers, and we're counting a lot of people, and we start counting the Gershonites. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I should open up the the first verse here. Yeah, you know, why don't we have you give us a bit of a one-minute summary of NASA? Uh, uh, yeah. And we can kind of dovetail from here. Great. If you're ready with the timer. I am ready, steady. And let's go, NASA. Great. We start by, as I was saying, hearing about the Gershonites, who are a tribe, a family, the tribe of the tribe of Levi, uh, that carry like the coverings and like the tachash skin that we were talking about last time. Um, we get a census of the different families of Levites. Uh, and then we get this interesting ritual of Sotah, which is a, when a husband, sus- uh, interesting and awful, when a husband suspects a wife of infidelity to do all these things like drink water that has the divine name dissolved in it, and then maybe something will happen to her, maybe nothing will. We uh, get the priestly blessing uh, given over for the first time, and then we have this long extended period of uh, all the twelve, the chieftains of the twelve tribes, bringing gifts to uh, mark the dedication of the tabernacle. And I think that's it. I think that's it. That's you got you rose up that uh, oh. that part lifted wow. it up. And it's funny too because usually we call the parsha after the first word or the first uncommon word. Um, and just looking at the Hebrew, like, I guess a lot of these start with like the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take a census. And this is Naso. I think I see it in the Hebrew. Yeah. Is that right? That's what, that's it. Naso, uh, at Rosh, uh, is it Rosh there? Mm, at Rosh, yeah. And I'm, it's interesting too, like talking about the Gershonites. What is your middle name, Aaron? My last name is Gershon. So I feel very connected <laughs> to this tribe, this family of the tribe. Your last name? Or like your... Oh, my middle name. Yeah. is Ger- My name is Aaron Gershon Rotenberg. So like, well, it's not a name that comes up much, but here we are in the beginning of Nassau, all about them. Yeah, right, we're lifting up the heads of the Gershon family, uh, which is just, I think, a fancy way of saying, like, count them. So your family are both descendants of Cohen's and of Levites because Gershons are Levites? No, my grandfather was just given that name. My grandfather, if I can tell the story quickly, because I think it's pretty cool. My grandfather uh, grew up in Tilsit in Silesia, a German-speaking region. And he was called Gert, which is like a male form of Gertrude. And then, you know, he got out of Germany uh, on the kinder transport and went to England. And, you know, it was during the war and having a German name was like not so great. So he went by Gary for much of his life, but then became more closely connected to Jewish community, and he met Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, 
who also happened to have started the rabbinical school that I currently attend. And Rabbi Zalman said, okay, your name's Gary, but what's your, what's your Jewish name? What's your Hebrew name? And he said, I don't have one. And Rabbi Zalman said, okay, your name will be, your Hebrew name will be Gershon. And my grandfather just loved it so much that he, on all of his official documents, like changed his name to Gershon and then only went by Gershon for the rest of his life. Really? Like Gershon has like his common name. Like that's what people would call him. Yeah. Yeah. So he like worked for the Canadian government and just made everyone call him Gershon or asked everybody to call him Gershon. And uh, yeah, I carry that name. So not because he's from a a Levite tribe, just because that was the name that was given to him by a rabbi who he liked. Because uh, I don't know, you must, you might have told me, but I didn't know that connection between your school and your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really, this is your paternal or maternal grandfather? My maternal grandfather. Okay, so your mother's father. My mom's father, yeah. Oh, okay. That's so interesting. Cool. I, I didn't know that little piece of family history of how, uh, yeah. it's almost like your, your grandfather went through kind of a, a vow or a conversion or a awakening or an affirmation, like any of these kind of words. Oh, yeah. And as you speak about this, I realize one of the sections, and also an interesting section that I skipped over in the summary, is we have the Nazarite ritual in the Parsha, which is where somebody can take a vow and say, I'm going to be a Nazarite, which is not the concept that we current that has kept, has followed through in rabbinic Judaism, but in the Torah, you can like take this time-bound vow, and then you can't cut your hair. You can't eat, drink wine. You can't drink vinegar made from wine. And that goes on this whole list. You can't drink grapes, or you can't eat grapes. You can't eat raisins. You can't eat, yeah, anything that has anything to do with grapes. And uh, here's this Nazarite. You know, it's funny. You say this has died out, but I don't know if it has. But before we... Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> meeting some Nazarites? I found at least one Nazarite in Wikipedia. Um, mm-hmm. but let's, let's dive into the, let's do a light dive into the Nazarites. Maybe we could do Bamid Bar, uh, chapter six verses one and two. I think that's where six, one and two. Oh, did, did you tell us on the podcast, maybe off the podcast about this Nazarite that was invited into a school, but then was uninvited? No, that is somebody else. Okay. I could. Tell, tell that story as well as I know it after we read these verses. Was it a Nazarite or was it a Canaanite? <laughs> I, I would really like to meet a Canaanite. No, this person was a Nazarite. Uh, but basically to say this person like wanted to take, wanted to jump into this and took a Nazarite vow and said like, Oh, I'm going to be a Nazarite for, I don't know, a month or so. But then was in a yeshiva and the rabbi's like, Oh, well, actually the way things are working now, you can't get out of the Nazarite vow because you have to like bring a sacrifice to end your vow and there's no temple. So you can't get out of your Nazarite vow. So this person just like is stuck being a Nazarite. So they like grow their hair and don't shave and like have kept all being a Nazarite because they took this vow that they can't get out of according to their understanding. And apparently there was an Orthodox school that was like curious about this and wanted to invite him in. But then, like, when somebody on the administration, like, saw how he looked with long hair and, like, a long beard, like, oh, actually, we have this rule in our school that, like, students can't come, like, with long hair like this. So they disinvited 
a Nazarite because <laughs> it seemed like he was looking too much like an unkempt hippie or something like that. And they're like, I actually would. And he's like, but I thought you wanted me to come because you wanted a Nazarite. And they're like, uh, yeah, but she changed her mind. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. I didn't know that story about the Nazarite. I remember my friend telling me they met a Canaanite. But uh, yeah, that's funny. I, that's why I thought you were the story you're going to tell. Um, but why don't we... Let's look at these verses. And yeah. I want to hear this Canaanite our, story another time. Let's do actually then verses... Uh, Let's do all of it. Uh, we can do... Uh, there is so much on here. Well, why don't we uh, do the first five lines? So uh, let's do it. Five or six, one to five. We'll do English, Hebrew, English, Hebrew. All right. Okay. You have so it in front of you? I do. The Lord spoke to, the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to the children of Israel, and you'll sh- you shall say to them, a man or woman who sets himself apart by making a Nazarite vow to abstain for the sake of the Lord. He shall abstain from new wine and aged wine. He shall not even drink vinegar made from new wine or aged wine, nor shall he drink anything in which grapes have been steeped. And he shall eat neither fresh grapes nor dried ones. For the entire duration of his abstinence, he shall not eat any product of the grapevine from seeds to skins. All the days of his vow of abstinence, no razor shall pass over his head until the completion of the term that he abstains for the sake of the Lord. It shall be sacred, and he shall allow the growth of it of it, the growth of the hair of his head to grow wild. So that's... What do you make of this? I, I think the thing why I find it interesting in a few ways is... Um, I think a lot of people think of Buddhism and Christianity as having a monk type of tradition. Yeah. And while this person is not a monk per se, there does seem to be an aesthetic, not aesthetic, like not a prettiness, but aesthetic, like a lack of physical attachments to the Nazarite, uh, the Nazarites, which I find just really interesting that this group of people kind of exist in this way. And I even kind of like what you're saying yeah. about the, the hippie thing, you know? Like, uh, I think sometimes we think of the present as having kind of, of a superfluousness to it and the past as having gravitas. But for all we know, like maybe Nazarites were kind of like these kind of pompous hippies of the group, you know, like not cutting their hair, not shaping their beard, you know, being a little bit like uh, having these dietary restrictions more than everyone else. Like, uh, I can imagine that this, this is a sort of thing we see in history a little bit. Like it's, it, it was just interesting. Not currently, 
besides um, a few people in history, but yeah. Yeah. Right. There are always people that kind of break away from the group and do something different. It feels like the Nazarites are that sort of thing. And I think the Hebrew, contemporary Hebrew word for uh, monk is Nazir, even if it's referring to another religion. Um, but yeah, when we don't have, it seems like this, what could be a monastic kind of uh, approach. The rabbis like didn't emphasize that Nazir could do all this stuff on their own. They don't need to do it with any community. And they're kind of separating themselves from community. Because we know that like to, to say Kiddush, there's also like sanctification that happens around wine. So you're kind of like stepping aside and saying like, oh, I'm not going to be doing the regular thing with the regular people. Um, and yeah, and they do like need to bring this, as I was saying, this like sacrifice afterwards. And one interpretation is like, oh, well, they've done something that's like not exactly great. It's kind of like a sacrifice asking for forgiveness for stepping away from community which is not the ideal. I mean, yeah, that is the other interesting thing, that there's no contemporary stream of Judaism or even kind of renegade stream that isn't about community. I find Judaism tend to be, tends to be very communal. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, it sounds like this might be kind of implied to be a punishment, like they've done something wrong and they're sounds like they're pressured maybe into taking on this vow. Like, a, like what's the connection between them doing something wrong and taking on this vow? Uh, so yeah, I think it's not it's not explicit. I think it's the rabbis in, interpreting it that they have to bring up. Uh, it says here in verse eleven that they have to do a chatat offering, or one of they take two doves. Right again, it's like this double thing that they need double uh, sacrifice they bring, either tur- turtle doves or pigeons, and one of them is a chatat offering, and one of them is an <laughs> excuse me ola offering. That does again this kapara. So there's some like uh chata It even says explicitly as I'm looking at it, that is to make atonement on behalf of the guilt that they've incurred. So like there is some like it's saying that they've done something. Then like these words are like a little bit un unclear exactly what's the guilt that they've engaged in is. But it's like possible to read that there's something that's like a little bit off if they need to bring a, an offering then and express their guilt. But, you know, it could be talking about like, oh, maybe they did the Nazarite vow in order to like rectify it. And this is like referring back to something else, not the Nazarite time itself. But Okay. Or, well, that's what I was thinking too. Or is it the Nazareth by vow itself that it's like there was a group of people that got pulled into like maybe even like a trend or a, mm-hmm. this thing that caught on that was a bit anti-Judaism because it was so monastic. So like either they're maybe they're taking the vow because they've done something wrong or maybe the vow people were compelled to do it, but the vow itself was still considered wrong and they had to find ways to atone for it. Like uh, I just, yeah. but it, you know, it's just, it's something that I think most people with a mainstream kind of surface level understanding of Judaism probably wouldn't have heard of Nazarites before. So I just think it's one of those kind of interesting things to pull out of the Torah. 
Yeah, totally. Although they may have heard of, maybe we've mentioned this before, the famous Nazarite in the Torah is Samson, like gets special like superpowers be, from becoming a Nazarite. Uh, and like when Samson is born, uh, which is the half, this is the Haftarah for this week's Parsha, the like associated uh, prophetic reading. Like when Samson is born, his mother is told like, okay, the son you're about to have, you really wanted a son. Here's a son. Got to be a Nazarite since birth. And then like somehow Samson gets like this super strength and can like kill a thousand Philistines with one jawbone of a donkey. But has this, uh, you know, weakness for Philistine women and Delilah. A Philistine woman figures out his secret. He's a Nazarite. And if he cuts his hair, he'll lose his powers. And maybe she could have like snuck him some uh, grape juice or water with raisins in it. And maybe that could have done it. But she did the hair thing. I, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't read the Haftarah this week. I only read the Torah portion. Uh, but now that I'm scrolling down again, Chabad.org is where I got my summary in English. Um, you're right. I had no idea that Samson was a Nazarite, uh, because you shall conceive and bear a son and razor shall not come upon his head for a Nazarite to God shall the lad be from the womb. Uh, mm-hmm. they mentioned this another time too. They say, uh, do not any, eat any unclean for the Nazarite to God. He shall be. Uh, so they mentioned it a couple times that Samson was a na- Nazarite. So it's, uh, yeah, right. That even the mother shouldn't do it while she's pregnant. So yeah, there's like some strong Nazarite thing happening. But you know, also like Samson isn't held up as the sort of person who we're supposed to emulate. Like, I don't think everyone's like, oh, we should, why don't you be a strong Samson kind of person? He's kind of like a, a little bit of a strange guy. Yeah, like he has some, I guess, fatal flaws, right? Falling for the the Philistine woman and then let, allowing his hair to get cut. Yeah, and like a lot of the biblical heroes have flaws but it seems like we're often like you know even though king david wasn't perfect we still like hold him above you like with the psalms we say his words we say david malach israel david king of israel is alive and existing you know he's like have all these things about imperfect people but don't focus on these nazarites one thing uh to share that i that I like around still, cause in this, we can tell it's kind of in this part, still, we're still in like a priestly, uh, framework that feels like c- contiguous with the end of Leviticus, right? And kind of also the way it's structured, we haven't yet like really moved on to like the narratives of wandering in the desert. We're still, you know, like counting everybody and like talking about the sacrifices that you bring if you do all these strange rituals. And right at the part, at the end of the parsha is we're still like, rededicating the temple or the Mishkan, the tabernacle again. It's like really still, we haven't moved on yet to the next narrative piece. Uh, right. The priests themselves are this like interesting, well, maybe a, a different model, right. Of service. Cause they are very communal. They're involved in, right. Like they're organized by tribes. Each person has this thing. They all like work together to make the things in the tabernacle happen. And we hear the opposite about them. They have to share, like, keep their hair short. Uh, 
but they need to grow out their beard. Right? And we also were like talking about this. Uh, it's not, a, we don't hear it about the priests, but we we're talking about the other week about the payouts, right? The, uh, sideburns or the side locks that people grow out. And right, there's a sense of like maybe Nazarites are a little bit too far out there. They're, they're letting like everything hang out. And we don't want to be like too clean cut. We can't like totally shave all the corners of our face. Like we need to kind of be in between. We need to engage in some wildness and some like more in the bounds, straight edgedness. This is an idea that I got from my teacher, Rabbi Anatan Margalit, uh, who has a paper about this sort of thing. And I think it's, uh, I, I like that. We need a little bit of like that middle path of both. We need yeah. to like let our beards grow, but not all of our hair. Yeah, like if this is somebody who, path, you know, or those writings about Shabbat saying that, you know, I think they used to be kind of anti-Karaite, like, oh, we're not in the dark like the Karaites, like Shabbat. Yes, we obey the laws of rest, but we kind of find a way around it, like some sort of middle path. I think that's written somewhere. Don't quote me, I guess, but I feel like I yeah. it's sort of reference to this. Um, and it's interesting too, because even though Nazarites, maybe we're talking about Canaanites next week, uh, my old friend Wikipedia told me that one of the mm-hmm. most recent Nazarites, I guess besides your friend of a friend, was David Cohen, uh, mm-hmm. who from 1887 to 1972, so I guess being a Nazarite gave him a nice long life, was, uh, yeah, someone who was an ascetic Jew and took a Nazarite vow during World War One and met Rabbi Abraham Isaac Koop who is well-known for, I feel like, all sorts of things. The first so, chief, um, chief rabbi of Israel. But first chief rabbi of Israel, that's what it is. So um, it's just interesting that even within our life, well, not within our lifetime, but it seems like there was a prominent Nazarite, uh, yes. at least two. You heard it first here today, mm-hmm. um, you know, in recent history. So I think kind of the interesting thing we're picking up from here is kind of looking at a stream of kind of, Jews and Jewish people that we didn't necessarily know exist or didn't have a lot of prominence that shows an extreme asceticism and how we can learn about our own middle paths from these people. Like, I think that's kind of the lesson I'm gathering from this parsha. Mm-hmm. Can I, before we, I see you're wrapping us up, but I also wanted to just share as we're like mentioning contemporary things, maybe yeah. remiss if I didn't uh, mention also my friend and classmates, uh, Rami Efal or Avraham Ramiafal, who has a school or there's a, a website called that he has called Nazir Temple of One. So he like is trying to kind of bring back a certain kind of monastic uh form for people to engage in. Heeding the call of the Jewish monastic impulse. So you can check out Nazir Temple of One if you're like, well, I really think we should get some more Nazir energy back, you can speak to Rami and he can help you try to find a path forward and support you in a Nazarite, Nazarite monastic mode. I totally will check this out. This uh, Rami ifall.com slash Nazir. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I love all the... Find the link, put a link in our show notes. Maybe sometimes say we do never haven't done yet. It is fun when we find these kind of local and international Jewish connections with people to walk away from. So 
I think it's great if we can continue to cultivate, uh, like from the DJC to now this Naz, Nazir Temple thing. Uh, I love it. I love the the connections. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a good place to land it in. So uh, as always, I've been Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Till next time.